It stands immovable. Its sheer size and majesty are overwhelming. At its peaks await breathtaking wonder, an experience you've only dreamed of. And with each day that passes, the passion only deepens. You want to climb that mountain. Very few will attempt the journey. It's fraught with danger, peril. But something, something beckons you. You're desperate to experience its glory. You must leave where you've been. You can't stay where you are. So you sell what you must. You pack what you can. You make the sacrifice. You prepare for the journey. It's calling you. It's your time. You must, you must climb that mountain. Amen. Man, are you glad you got up and braved the cold this morning to be here? Yeah, me too. Awesome. So if you're looking for some kind of scriptural basis for that song we just did, turn to Psalm 91 and you'll find it. The lyrics are all right there. Amen. Check it out. I'm so glad you're here today. So we start a brand new series. I checked in on our grapevine that we used in our last series here. It's doing very well this morning, in fact. It's very well. I had it on my, on my desk in there in my office, and it's about this tall now. So it just is branching out and doing what it's supposed to do in this season of its life. We, have, we base that series off a of verse. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with our face having been unveiled having beheld the glory of the Lord as in a mirror, are being changed. The series changed me. It was about this process that God walks us through as we walk with him where he changes us into the very image of his son. And the way 2 Corinthians 3.18 ends, it says, change into the same image, listen to this, from glory to Glory. He takes us from one revealing of himself in all his glory that he wants to share with us. Can you imagine that? The holy, righteous, glorious God would choose us, fallen, depraved, backwards, rejecting sinners, and say, I want them to know my glory. Glorious God we serve. And he takes us in Jesus Christ from glory to glory. From one experience in him that is overwhelming and glorious to the next experience that is even more overwhelming and more glorious. So that you and I in the process from glory to glory are transformed. We're changed, amen? Outside and inside. Things in me changing, transforming. Passion for him that I didn't have before. Love for him that I didn't have before. Peace in him that I didn't have before. And it shows up with others. Peace with them that I didn't have before. Love for them that I didn't have before. Glory to glory. Glory. Throughout the scripture, there are places that God 
reveals his glory. Those places that we're going to look at in our series are mountains. We're going to be looking specifically at nine mountains from Genesis all the way into the New Testament where God revealed his glory in some very powerful, life-changing ways. And they form a journey. They form a map of where he wants to take every one of us from glory to glory. Now, this journey is going to be challenging. This journey is going to be fraught with some struggle. This journey is going to demand something of you. It won't be for the faint at heart. It won't be for the weak. It won't be for those who are just interested in some sightseeing. It won't be for those who aren't ready to make the journey. But if you're willing, if you're ready, if you're ready to sacrifice, if you're willing to sell some things, if you're willing to sacrifice and put everything you've got into the journey, you are going to find some things at the top of each of these mountains that will absolutely transform your life. Amen. Amen. Anybody want to go on the journey with me? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Me too. Let's do this. Over the next two months, we're doing this. We're going to climb some mountains, nine mountains that each reveal greater glories of God. Nine mountains that will challenge us and change us individually, but I believe they're also going to change us as a church. Amen? Yeah. All together. We've begun a journey this year in 2019. He's changing us. And we're just getting started. Let me kind of talk about a point here that's going to really sum up this whole series. And it is this. That God reveals his greatest glories to those willing to climb the greatest mountains of faith. If you're willing to take the journey. If you're willing to go along. If you're willing to make some sacrifices he will reveal some truths to you about himself that will absolutely change you. This statement's based on Hebrews eleven six. If you're taking notes, making notes, you're welcome to take pictures of the screen along the way, whatever it is that helps you in the process of recording what God's doing in your life. Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is, that he is God, that he does exist, that he is powerful, and, listen here, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, let me just be clear this morning. I am not talking about you trying to better yourself so that you can someday hopefully make it to heaven. That is not the gospel message. The gospel message is that Jesus Christ came for sinners, you and I, and that he meets us where we are so that when we experience his grace and we receive it by faith, we are in that moment born again. We become his. No one can snatch us out of his hand at that point because not only are we put in his hand, we become his hand. Amen? Right? So this journey we're taking is not only not for the faint at heart, but I would tell you if you're going to make the journey, you're going to have to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're not this morning, I'm glad you're here because you're going to hear something about this journey 
of faith. It begins with the knowledge of who you are in Jesus Christ. You'll need it along this journey. You're going to need it because there's going to be some times you're going to want to back out. There's going to be some times you're going to want to leave the trail. There's going to be some times you're going to look over the edge. You're going to think, what am I doing? And you're going to want the security, the peace, the confidence of knowing I belong to my God through Jesus Christ. Amen. If that's where you are this morning, then this scripture applies to you. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Oh, if you've come this morning hungry, passionate, desperate, then you can know there's a reward coming. Nine mountains. We start in the book of Genesis with the first mountain that is named. That mountain is Ararat. Let me tell you a little bit about it, and then I'll back up and tell you the story. Ararat is the mountain that the ark, Noah's ark, will come to rest on. The first mountain named in scripture. By elevation, it's the tallest mountain listed in scripture. Not the tallest in the world, but the tallest listed in scripture. It's here that our journey begins. It's interesting, the name for Ararat comes from a word or wording that means the curse reversed. Mm. Because you see, because of that serpent, because of that snake, condemnation and a curse came on this planet. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's just hold on to that here. Let's just tell the story here. It's Ararat. It's the place of where the curse is reversed, where the rest happens, where the, the promise is made alive, where Noah and his family experience something that they've never experienced before. It's a place Noah thought he could never get to. It's actually a place Noah wasn't even aware of. Hold on to that. We'll get back to that. It's a place of brand new beginnings. It's a place of new hope. It's a place of new glory. And so what I'm calling us today is Ararat, the mountain of never before seen glory. It's the first mountain. And Noah and his family are going to experience the glory of God there in a way that they never have before. And if Noah had somewhere along the way said, well, you know, I'm, uh, I'm pretty restrictive in where I go and what I do and what I believe. And, you know, I like to be comfortable. I don't like new things. I don't like change. You would have a hard time going with Noah into a boat. You have a hard time going through that kind of change. You would have a hard time ending up at Ararat because Noah's whole world was about to be changed. You have to go through the process of change if you want to see some glory. You got to unfold the story if you want to know some glory. Amen? Amen? Ararat, the mountain of never before seen glory. Let's start in Genesis Chapter 6 today, <clears throat> we're going to be taking a, a high-level view of two or three chapters here this morning. We're not going verse by verse, word by word through three chapters, <clears throat> although I wish we could. There's so much here, but I want to set some, uh, some context. I want to provide some background that will be important for all of us this morning.
Awesome. Sometimes you just need a drink of water. The Bible says in the book of Genesis that God created the heavens and the earth. It's a truth that's come under attack in our world for quite a while. It's a truth that no longer is taught in public schools. It's a truth that has become almost laughed at, that God created in six days. You see, what many have tried to do is try to understand the eternal truths of God by their very limited minds. And when they can't make it fit, when they can't understand how God could create the entire universe in six days, they say, well, it must not have been that way. And they try to come up with another way that God did it. But I want to tell you this morning another verse from Hebrews 11.3. And I'm getting some groundwork here. I'm laying some foundation for us. Hebrews 11.3, make a note of this. It says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. You are not not going to arrive at a place where you realize that creation versus evolution, that creationism is true because you've seen enough facts. Because the Bible says you're going to have to come to that place by faith. Faith. So when I hear someone who can't bring it all together about God creating the world in six days, I pray for them. Because I can see what's happening is they're wrestling with their reasoning over God's word. Let me just read the rest of this verse for you here. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Listen to this. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. In other words, what we see today did not come from what was visible then. We didn't get what we see by what was seen. We've got what we see because God spoke it into existence. It's a big old truth. And if you have a difficulty believing that he can't speak the world into existence, then you're going to have a hard time when he speaks into your life and you come to Jesus Christ and he says to you, you are my child. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are righteous. And you'll say, how can that be? And he says, I spoke this whole universe into existence by my word. I'll speak new life into you by existence through my word. Yes. Amen. Amen. It's by faith. It's by faith. It's the foundation. It's the foundation of truth. It's the foundation of scripture. And God spoke and there was life. Adam and Eve walked in this for a while. But then the snake, the serpent, deceived them, drew them away, caused them to believe the lie that God was withholding, that God was keeping something good from them, that he and his essence wasn't good. And because of that, they sinned. The bite of the fruit cast all of creation into a place of darkness. What we see today is not the way the world and eternity as in the universe was designed. This is not what the pattern was. This is not the way it was originally intended. Did you know that in the garden before sin occurred, there was a very different existence? 
It was a realm and a time when the heavenly and the earthly were one. It's true. Remember the Bible says that Adam and Eve walked with God? They did. He was in their presence. They were in his presence. And they knew it. They could see him. The realm of the spiritual that you and I, by faith, believe today was reality for them. They saw it. It was all there together. The physical creation was very different in that day as well. If you read through the Genesis account, you'll find that the world was actually created in a very different atmospheric way than it exists today. There was a water canopy that surrounded the planet. It did. Just read it in Genesis. I know some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy at this point. Just keep on looking. Created this way with this canopy of water around the earth that it might create an environment where man could live forever. No disease. No harmful UV rays. Not having to put on suntan lotion to go out for a walk in the garden. They would live forever. The very plants in the Genesis garden seem to even have properties to them that are different than what we experience today. There was the tree of life, a tree that you ate from, and it, it didn't just have good fruit to it that you thought, oh, this is delicious. No, it actually did something to you. You got spiritually energized by what you ate from that tree. It was a different world. This was the garden. This is what God created. But the day sin happened, everything changed. The planet came under a curse. The serpent gained a foothold. And life changed. There would now be death into the existence of man. There would now be the struggle, the tension. There would be enmity between Adam and his wife. Yes, that tension that you sometimes experience, husbands and wives, from one to another, began that day in the garden. It's part of the curse upon the planet today. Sin always, always brings division. Always. It created a division between man and God. It created a division between man and man. Sin does that. And so when our story begins today in Genesis 6, we are six chapters in to life in the new realm, the new way of life on planet Earth, the new life where the heavenly has been stripped away from the earthly and what you find are some generations that unfold and the people increasingly walk away from God. They increasingly are filled with themselves. They increasingly are rejecting him. They increasingly demand their way and see him no longer as good, but they stay bitter at him. They stay angry at him. They reject his ways. They say, no, 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 we will not. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man 
was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God, the one who knows the hearts of all simultaneously and intimately says that at this time in Genesis chapter 6, that the thought of every person was wickedness. The drive, the intent, the motivation of his heart was only evil, and it was continual. There were no breaks. There were no good days. There were just bad days. Man stiff-arming God. Man cursing God. Man wanting his own way and not God's way. Genesis 6, verse 7. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. It's perhaps one of the most sad verses in Scripture. The glorious, good God who had created man and given him everything is now having the creation stiff arm the creator. And he is left with no option but to bring them to a place of destruction. We're only six chapters in. This is what happens. Every person seeing God's eyes and seeing him as cruel, mean, unfair, unjust. Verse 8 of Genesis, however, tells us about another man. It says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I don't know how many times you've read this verse, how many times you've heard this verse, how many times you've thought about this verse. But let me clarify this verse for you. If you think that this verse means that God looked down and said, man, everybody here is a mess. You know, except for Noah, look at him. He's such a good boy. He is such a good boy. Look at him. He just does good all the time. Good boy, Noah. I'm going to do something good for you because you're good. If that's what your thought is about that verse, you've missed the point of the verse. It doesn't say that Noah found he had stored up enough brownie points with God. It doesn't say that. It uses a very specific word, grace. Grace is undeserved favor. When you deserve something terrible, you deserve punishment. You deserve consequences. And not only did you not get them, but instead something good came to you. It'd be like if one of your children <clears throat> had 
horribly disobeyed. And you had made it clear what the rules were. And they disobeyed and with intent did what they did. And as a parent, you would choose and say, I am going to have to discipline them because of what they've done. They have stubbornly refused to obey. And in fact, they have disobeyed. If in that moment you were to look at them and say, my heart is broken for you. Right now you deserve a spanking. Instead, we're going out to get some pizza and ice cream. That would be grace. You were not only not giving them what they deserved, you would be giving them something they didn't deserve. Now back to the verse. Noah, when he looked up into the eyes of God, saw grace. He saw favor from God when he knew he should have seen punishment from God. Every other person on the planet saw him as unfair and unjust. Noah saw him and said, I see grace in his eyes. What do you look at when you see the eyes of God? What you see there will determine what happens next. For Noah, because he saw grace in the eyes of God, he heard God speak. I'm moving on through Genesis 6 and verse 8. We read, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It gives us this first big point. If you want to see glory that you've never seen before, never before seen glory, then it starts with this. Look into the eyes of God and find grace. Have you come to that place? I told you, if you want to make this mountainous journey we're on, it starts right here. Looking into the eyes of God, seeing grace, seeing Jesus dying for you to pay for your sin, but also to give you an inheritance, a blessing. This is where it begins for Noah. This is where it begins for us. And because he heard this and saw this, this is what we read in Genesis 6, 14 and 15. God says to Noah, make yourself an ark. And this is how you shall make it. Man, I'm just, I just wish I could spend about a year in this whole passage right here and talk about Noah and all that happens here. Because God gives Noah some very specific directions about this boat he is to build, this ark. Destruction's coming. God's going to bring justice upon the earth. And to Noah, he says, I want you to make an ark. He gives him very specific instructions to put into lengths that we can understand today. This ark would be 510 feet long. To give you some perspective, three shuttlecraft could sit on top of it. Three NASA shuttlecraft could sit on top of the ark. That gives you some scale. 510 feet long. It would be 50 feet tall. It would have the capacity of 450 semi-tractor trailers. You know the ones that you see on the highway. 450 of those, their contents could fit inside the ark. And God gave Noah very specific instructions on how to build this ark so that it would be his rescue for his family, 
but also for every animal kind that was on the planet at his time. And Noah gave himself to it because he saw grace in the eyes of the Lord. He gave himself toward this end. I'm going to build this ark. God gave him instructions. God gave him a blueprint. And Noah was going to be serious about it. Noah would give his time to it. Noah would give his resources to it. Noah would give his energies to it. Noah would think about it day and night. Noah would plan for it. Noah would work at it. Noah would spend the next 50 to 75 years building this ark. He gave himself to it. I'm sure there were times that his wife came and said, Hey, Noah, um, you know the Fletchers down the street? Yeah, they want to see if we want to come over and they've got a fun new game for us to play. And Noah said, Honey, I can't tonight. I'm working on the ark. Okay, dear. Noah's boss. Hey, Noah, I need you to stay late today and work. Sorry, boss. I got to go home. I got stuff to do. I, I'm, I'm working on something. 50, 75 years. Noah's friends. Hey, Noah, you want to come out with us? We're going to, you know, go have some fun tonight. We found some new vines down by the creek, and, man, they got these berries on them, and you make some. No, thanks. I got stuff to do. What are you doing? I'm building a boat. What? A boat. Why? God told me to. That's ridiculous. No, I, that, that big? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's what God told me to do. I'm doing it. I'm going to do what my God said. Why do you need a boat that big? He told me to build it. All right, Noah, whatever. There's a lot of stuff that Noah missed out on. There's a lot of stuff that Noah sacrificed. There was a lot of time in the recliner that Noah gave up because he knew God had called him to build this boat. And he was given to it, fully given to it. He gave 50 to 75 years of his life to it, untold resources to it, all kinds of time to it, because this boat came from God's word to him. And he was going to build his life around what God said to him. It was going to be his salvation. It was going to be what took him out. It was going to be what took him away from judgment. And Noah said, I will give myself to this. This is my salvation. This is my redemption. I have seen grace in the eyes of the Lord, and I'm going to give myself to this. If you want to see glory that you've never seen before, you're going to have to be willing to give your life to building your boat. You're going to have to give your time, your energy, you're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to give your resources. You're going to have to reschedule your time. You're going to have to readjust everything you do. You're going to have to give yourself to building your life around your security in Jesus Christ. Man, there's a lot of stuff today that can get you just distracted, right? Man, you can waste untold hours doing this. Hello? And at the end of it, you're like... Whoo, man, an hour and a half went by. That was crazy. Have you had one of those notifications come up on your iPhone that says, your screen time this week was up 20% from last week? Yeah. <laughs> Have you had one of those yet? Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying iPhones are evil. I use mine, and I use it for some good purposes, I believe. But I am also very well aware 
of not what's in the iPhone, but what's in me to just stall and waste time on absolutely frivolous things. Noah was a man who was driven. I got stuff to do. I got a God to serve. He's put me on a mission. I have a purpose. I'm building my life about this boat right now. I'm going to see that my family's rescued. I'm going to see that the animals are rescued. I am following the commission of God upon my life. I've got a glory to get to, and I'm going to build my life around that. Are you building a boat today? I don't mean a boat for your lake. I don't mean a boat for your pride. I don't mean a boat to show off your skills. I mean, are you building your life around God's word? Are you building your life around the boat of protection of who you are in Christ? Do you spend time in God's word? Do you take time to pray? Do you take time to fellowship with other believers? Are you getting with others and studying scripture? Are you a part of the kingdom's work? Are you involved in a lift group? Are you giving yourself away in ministry? Are you making your life about the kingdom of God? Or are you building it all about the kingdom of you? There were plenty in Noah's day that were eating and drinking and giving themselves over to pleasure and completely ignoring the fact that judgment was coming. They laughed at old Noah, who was following the command of God to build a boat, to build his life around the boat, to build his life around God's word to him, to build his life about his salvation, about his redemption, about the glory to come. He wanted to get to the next mountain. He wanted to move on to the next part. He wanted to see what God had for him, and he gave himself to it. He restructured his life around it. Nothing was more important than this to him. If he went to work, he had to get back home from work. If he went to play, he wanted to get back home from play to give himself continually to building his boat. Amen? Amen. The passage continues in Genesis 7. It says that there came a day when Noah finished the boat, and it says that the Lord said to Noah, Come in to the ark. You and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Noah, I've been watching. You found grace in my eyes. And you've been working. And remember, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so God rewards Noah. Where in this verse is God if he says... Come into the ark. He's inside the ark. He calls him in. Noah, it's time. Come on in. I want you to come in to me. I want you to come to me. I want you to find your security in me. I want you to come to me and get in the boat. Get in the boat, Noah. Destruction's coming. It's interesting. Noah knowing destruction was coming, didn't say, you know what, I, I think what might be a better plan, isn't it funny how we always have a better plan than what God's plan is? I think it might be a better plan, God, if I just built a house maybe up on stilts. I mean, there's a flood coming. I mean, we just stay right here. This will be fine. I'm comfortable here. I like this town. You know, I kind of like, I got my garden going over here. I know there's a flood coming, but God, let me just put some stilts up on a house. Let me just hang out right here. 
No, I want you to build a boat, Noah. Okay, God, well, um, Noah didn't say, you know what, maybe if we just move to higher ground. I mean, I got some friends. We can all get them, you know, put our stuff together. We can just move up to higher ground. That's what we'll do, God. That'll be a better plan. No, no, Noah, I want you to come into the ark with me. You see, when God speaks, he'll call you to do some things that people are going to think, you're crazy. You're going to give your life to serving people? You're going to spend your Sundays at a church? You could be sleeping in, you know. You're going to give part of your money to that place? You know there are a bunch of cheats down there, right? You say, no, I am operating under orders from my God. I'm building my boat. I've already got my place in heaven. He's told me to build my life around him, and I'm going to. This is what Noah does, and God calls him in to the boat. You see, if you want to experience some glory you haven't had before, some never-before-seen glory, you got to know that the path to the mountain is in the boat. Noah's going to get to a mountain. Noah's going to get to Ararat. I told you that already. But Noah won't get there by his effort. Noah won't get there by his devices. Noah's going to get there by getting into the boat. The boat is a beautiful picture. The ark is a beautiful picture of Jesus himself. He calls to us and says, Come to me, all you who labor and are weary. I'll give you rest. He calls us to enter into him, enter into all that he is. And when we do, we find glories there. We find wonder there. He says, don't go searching out there for it all. Don't go out there thinking money's going to get you the glory. Don't go out there thinking a job's going to get you that glory. Don't go over here thinking this group of people's going to get you the glory. Come into me. I will get you to the place of glory. The ark is going to get you where you need to go, Noah. Come in to me. We build our life around the boat, Christ, and he takes us there. Genesis 7, verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, a very specific day, by the way, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. The day had come. Judgment had come. God was causing something different to happen once again on planet Earth. It says here two things happened on that day. The great fountains of the deep were broken up. I know people say, well, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. That's part of what happened. You see in the bottom part of the verse, it says, and the windows of heaven were open. But remember what I told you earlier about the way God created the earth? With a canopy of water that covered it? On this day, on this day, that canopy gave way. That's not all that happened. On this day also, it says, the fountains of the great deep were broken up. I know if you went to public school like me, you never heard the background story of Genesis taught from Scripture's perspective. You heard about some monkeys and how we all got here in some oozy, creamy, weird way, right? The Scripture's clear. When God created the earth, 
He created the dry ground. Most scientists who are Christians and have studied these passages would say that there was one, one landmass in the original creation. Not different nations and continents. There was one. But on this day, because of the sin and rejection of man toward God, God brings judgment that divides the one landmass and it becomes many and then continents form because the great deeps open up. And from these great deep places come untold amounts of water. It is an earthquake of size and scale that you and I cannot imagine. It's a cataclysmic event that causes the one landmass to be separated and pulled apart until there would be the final placement of what you and I now know of as continents. They were not originally that way. They were one But whenever there is sin and rejection of God, there will always be rejection and drift and a pulling apart. Ooh, man, we could spend a lot of time right here, but this is something cataclysmic is happening right here. Something devastating is happening. This is not the plan originally from the beginning. Let me just give you a couple of verses to make some notes on if you're taking notes this morning. Check out 2 Peter 3, 6. It says in that verse, the world that was then being overflowed with water perished. What was then would no longer be. That world perished. Psalm 104 verse 8. Watch this. The mountains rose. The valleys sank down to the place which thou did establish for them. In this cataclysmic day of Epic proportions. The great deeps open up until there are cavernous regions now in the depths of the ocean and even in places that you and I call canyons that are grand. That didn't happen because of a trickle of water, folks. That happened because of the handiwork of God in bringing judgment upon our world. Oh, it's beautiful to look at now. But if you would have seen it happen in the day, it would have terrified the life out of you. Because we were seeing God tear apart what had been one. Mm. Water. It's going to cover the earth. All the earth. It wasn't a local flood. It wasn't just down the street because the Ovilla Creek rose. It wasn't six or eight houses. It was the entire planet covered in water. And in this movement of land masses moving, mountains are being raised up, caverns are sinking low. I saw one description that said it'd be like if a train was heading down a track at some very fast rate of speed and all of a sudden the wheels came off one of the front cars. In that moment, it would have come to a stop and all of the cars behind it would have piled up and formed something that wasn't part of the original design. 
what you and I know of today as mountains came to be on this day in Scripture. The land masses moved. The great caverns were opened up and the great mountain peaks were formed. If you want to see some glory like you've never seen before, then you have to trust that God will raise up a mountain where they only see floodwaters. You see, if Noah had stopped at some point and looked out the ark, they would have only seen floodwaters. Water for days and days. I went on a cruise one time. I don't do well. I've told you with heights and small spaces and all that kind of stuff. The thing that creeped me out about a cruise was that one day in, two days in, three days in, just water everywhere. Like, what happens to me if I fall off this thing? Water for days. For Noah, it's a lot longer. But Noah wasn't trusting in what he could see. Noah was trusting the one who knew. There wasn't a place on the ark for Noah to sit and drive the thing. There's no steering wheel. There's no iPad controls. There's no big stick to move. The only captain was God himself. And what Noah didn't know at the time, was that below all this water, there was incredible seismic activity. And God was about to raise up something that Noah had never known before. He was about to raise up a place called Ararat. It was going to happen, and it was going to become the place that Noah would get his rest. But Noah didn't know that at the time. He was trusting completely and his God to get him there. The passage goes on. It says in verse 17 of chapter 7, Now the flood was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. This is one of those verses you could spend a whole message on because a flood comes in, and God causes the flood to be the thing that lifts Noah up above all of the problems. He enters into the ark. He builds his life on Christ, and because he's in Christ, because he's in the ark, he rides on top of the struggle. He rises on top of the flood. You see, if you'll trust Christ, he'll bring a storm into your life, but he'll put you safe in him if you'll enter into him, and he'll cause you to rise above that flood, that storm in your life, right? You might have that struggle come into your life that's in the way of bills. It might be in a relationship. It might be a loss. It might be a struggle. It might be something you can't see the way out of. And God says, in that moment, when the flood comes, enter into me. Come on in. Come on in. I'm going to close the door. Come on in. Now, I'm going to take you to a place you've never been before. Hello. It's not until you enter in, though, that you find that. You gotta be willing to get your eyes off of what's going on. But God, I don't understand what's going on in my marriage. I just think it'd be better if I just divorce that person. No. You stay true to what Scripture says. You hold tight. Well, God, I just think it'd be better if I just ended this whole thing. I just don't see how I can have any future in this life. No, you stop that. The floods come, I realize it. This is your time to enter into me. But God, you don't understand my financial situation. I'm in such a bad spot right now. I have no hope for what's ahead. I only see destruction coming. I get it. Now, enter in 
to me. I'll cause you to rise above the flood. I'll carry you to a place you've never been. And you'll see some glory you've never seen. Chapter 8, verse 4 says, Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the seventeenth day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. Hmm. Verse 5, and the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. This kind of destroys that whole thought about it. It was just a local flood. It was just a creek that rose up. No, Noah is on Ararat. And he's parked there because that's where the ark took him. That's where God took him. And there the waters begin to slowly recede. And Noah looks out and says, look at that. There's a mountain. Never seen that before. Because God was showing him new things that he had never seen before because he brought him through the flood. Verse 18 of chapter 8 says, So Noah went out, his sons and his wife, and his sons' wives with him. Can you imagine that? They came through the flood. They survived it all. They rested in Christ, in the ark. They rested in the promise. They held tight and believed. And there came a day when all the tossing and turning and the waves stopped. And the ark rested. And there came a day when Noah and his family went out of the ark. They stepped out. They had been delivered. They had been set free. They had been rescued. They had been brought to a new place. And there, they didn't stay inside and say, Oh, I don't want to go outside. I'm too scared. Instead... The door opened and they stepped out into a new place, a place they'd never been to before, a place of glory. They stepped out and it would be in stepping out that they would do some things they'd never done before. There, they would have a worship experience like they had never had before. Noah would take the clean animals out of the ark and he would offer them to the Lord. And they had a worship service right there when they came out of the ark. And God spoke to them when they came out of the ark. And God made promises to them when he came out of the ark. It's there in that moment that God said he would never destroy the earth again with a flood. It's there that God gave them promises and assurances. It's there that God described the rainbow to them. It's there that God promised to bless them. It's there that they saw glory they'd never seen before. But you can't get to Ararat unless you're willing to enter into Christ when the flood comes. There's stuff we all want in our life. Nobody is sitting here today and saying, you know, my life's pretty miserable, it's boring. Bill's way up. I'm frustrated. I'm miserable. But I'm just going to keep it this way. Nobody says that. 
Nobody says, this is what I came to life for. Nobody says, this is what it's all about. I can't wait to get some more of it. No one says that. All of us today would say, I want something better next. Amen? I don't want what I got. I want something fresh in my walk with God. I want to open the Bible and see something fresh. I want to pray and see something fresh. I want to walk in the spirit and experience things I've never done before, never, I've never experienced before. Great. You've come to the right place in the right time because we're about to take on some mountains. But this first one, this first one is the lesson we've all got to get. If you want the glory of Ararat, you've got to be all in to the ark, all in to Jesus Christ, all in. If you're not all in, you're not going to get here because the only way to get from here to here is by the ark that'll float you and take you there. Are you all in today with Christ? Are you at that place? Are you ready to step into a new place and worship and experience a passion you never had before? That's the new, never-before-seen place of glory. I'll leave you with this today. Are you at the place where you say, I want what's on that mountain? I want that. I want what's on the mountain of never-before-seen glory. I don't want to live where I've been. I don't like being in the valley. I don't want to stay down here. I want to move on. I'm ready to get to a new place. I'm ready for some new, new experiences with God. I'm ready for some new life within me. I'm ready for something new that changes the way I see people, the way I see God, the way I see myself and my life. I don't like being ruled by social media. I want to be ruled by God. I don't like being ruled by the mundane, the boring, and the junk. I don't want to be ruled by my job even. I want to be ruled by God. I want to experience life in Him. It starts today by you saying, I will build my life around Him. I'll give myself to it. Noah spent 50 to 75 years building his boat. What are you going to spend the rest of your years on? What are you going to spend it on? What are you going to build it around? Let's build it around Jesus Christ. Amen. Why don't you bow your heads with me? This is our challenge today. This is our calling today. God has new places he wants to take you and me and us. It all begins by entering in to the promise of God. It all begins by full surrender, full in. Nothing else but full in to the ark. I'm all in to what he has to say to me. I'm all in for what he wants. I won't stand in the valley any longer. 
I won't be deceived any longer. I won't be swayed any longer. I'm not going to live less any longer. I'm not going to listen to the enemy's lies any longer. I'm not going to be held down. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to pursue my God. I'm going to build my life around Jesus Christ because I want to see glory I've never seen before. Father, this morning we're trusting you. We're surrendering to you. We're crying out to you. We're entering into you that you might take us to places we've never been to before. Lead us, Father. We're ready. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I really hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. I hope it has inspired you to lift him up and live him out. If you'd like to know more about Vertical Church, check us out online at verticalchurchovilla.com. We'll see you next time.